Hey, so welcome from whenever, wherever you're watching from. If you notice today, I am dressed in purple, and that is for a reason. We have now entered, because of COVID, back into the purple tier. You know what that means for Element? Not much. Really, we're just kind of doing the same things we've been doing so far. The only thing that really affects us is we were doing a 9 a.m. indoor uh, live message, and that just moves back outside. So if you come to that, bring a blanket. I'm sure you'll be happier if you have a blanket, but that's really it. We are also planning to do a 6 p.m. Christmas Eve service outdoors. And really, no matter what happens, we'll still be okay because it is outdoors, and we invite you to come to that. we got a, a cool little Christmas gift we want to give you. I mean, it's not that it really costs a lot, but I think it's kind of cool. It will remind you of this year. It's going to be a lot of fun. So come to that 6 p.m. Christmas Eve. Uh, there's going to be stuff for families to do scattered around the property. There's going to be some music, which is not kind of the crazy music we always do, but just simple Christmas songs played by the band. I'll speak just a really, really short. It'll be kind of a cool night. So bring your family out for that. Put on your calendars, 6 p.m. Christmas Eve. Hopefully be a lot of fun. Now, uh, what I want to kind of do today is you're going to get more of who the Holy Spirit is, how He works in our lives. And I'd really like you to go to the U version that we have today. If you have a smart device, you can open that up. You download this app. Uh, and in that app, U version, what you do is click on More and then Events. will come up by GPS in your smart device. And you will get uh, the sermon notes, the the verses, the questions, everything we go through, because there's a lot of stuff that's going to take place today in the message that we go through. Uh, You know, guys, COVID stinks, but Jesus is good, so that's where we're going to be. If you would like to, you can stay with me for the reading of God's Word. This is John chapter 20, verses 21 and 22. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. That kind of goes along with what we talked about last week, where Jesus breathed and the Holy Spirit all going together. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we ask that today you would move us to a place where we understand better, not just the work that you do in our lives, but the Son and the Spirit together that we'd be a people who worship our triune God as you reveal yourself, and that we would understand more deeply the things that you do in our lives and how you call us to live and how we would bring you glory and how we would ultimately live in the joy that you provide. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we are in this series called The Third Will. As I said, Misunderstanding the Holy Spirit. This is our second week. Uh, the series is going to go right through the week after Christmas, and we are affectionately calling this series The Third Wheel, because that's what you call that uncomfortable person that, that shows up maybe when you and someone are out doing something like, hey, I'll tag along, and you don't really know what to do with them. Do you ask them to stay? Do you ask them to leave? It's going to be awkward at times. In Christianity, we believe that God is a God. Uh, He is Father, Son, and Spirit. And we tend to be perfectly happy with our views on the Father and the Son, though we could do a couple series on the Father and the Son and how we misunderstand them as well. But we really just miss what the Spirit does so much of the time. Uh, Like, there was this huge best-selling book that came out some years ago. And in order to not get sued, I'm going to call it The Christian Cabin in the Woods, uh, where someone goes to meet God. And I did not think this book had the greatest theology. People wanted 
wanted me to read it, and I didn't really like it. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, that you can't disagree with me in some of this, and that's okay. You know, part of the reason we attend church with other believers is that sometimes it's good to be pushing our beliefs in different directions. But anyway, in this book, it, it was this thing that American Christians just loved. And the Holy Spirit eventually shows up, and the Holy Spirit looks like a naive hippie jumping around in the flowers, being, ooh, rather than Lord God Almighty, which is who the Holy Spirit is. Now, I'm not saying the Spirit doesn't enjoy flowers and birds and singing and all the things that He created, but He is more than just someone dancing around in the flowers. He is Lord God Almighty. Uh, Open your Bibles to John chapter 14. And as we walk through the things that we do in this Spirit series, I am not going to answer every single one of your questions. What I really want to do is give you a foundation for who the Holy Spirit is. And then some of the other questions that come along, you maybe can begin to answer of where the Spirit leads you. And my job here is not to try to offend anybody by some of the things that I say, although I might have just done that. What I want to do, again, is give us a proper perspective on God's Spirit, who He is, what He does. So John 14, verses 16 and 17, Jesus says this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that's also the word for advocate or counselor, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now stay in John 14. I am going to have you flip some other places, but kind of stay there. We're coming back to that. Jesus here talks about the Spirit. So what does Jesus teach about the Spirit? And there are lots of churches today who only focus on spiritual things, and then there's lots of other churches who don't really focus on it at all. And what we want to do is be a people who are well-rounded in what the Scriptures teach about these spiritual things. And so today, you're going to get a lot of theology. Last week, you got a lot of philosophy. Today is really theological. And I think really the best way to cure an imbalance in our views about the Spirit is look at what Jesus and the scriptures say. Who knew, right? Let's look at that. Because I think the deeper we get into this, the more we're going to realize what the Spirit actually does, how He works in our lives. This could really almost be an introduction of sorts to the subject, and we're going to talk about three things. Number one, who the Holy Spirit is. Second, what the Holy Spirit does. And three, how can we live in or receive what He does? So let's start with that first one. Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, first off, the Holy Spirit is personal. He's not just a force. And secondly, he's God. We say he is the third person of the Trinity. We say that because when we talk about God, we say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Third doesn't have anything to do with preeminence or power or anything like that. It's just how we talk about it. Uh, One writer says, though, the Holy Spirit becomes the divine resident of the Christian's heart. So the Holy Spirit is a person. He is not just God's power or force. And there are religions out there who will go door to door and end up at your house and knock on it whenever you're doing something important, which is usually not talking to them. And they will tell you the Holy Spirit is God's power, God's impersonal force in the world. But if you look at it, how did Jesus just refer to the Holy Spirit? Jesus doesn't say the Holy Spirit isn't it, as we tend to do. He doesn't say the Holy Spirit is some force like Star Wars. Mm, He's the force. He, He doesn't say that. What does Jesus say? He says the Holy Spirit is a he. John 14, verse 17, out of the NIV, says it like this. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. He is a person. 
In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, we are told the Holy Spirit can be grieved. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29, it says the Holy Spirit can be angered. In Romans 15, it says the Holy Spirit loves. So he loves, he can be grieved, he can be angered. An impersonal force does not feel feelings. That's a person. And you might be thinking, okay, great, the Holy Spirit is a person, but that doesn't mean he's actually God. Well, again, let's look at what Jesus actually says. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Again, that's the word counselor, advocate. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But here Jesus says the word another, another. Well, what does that mean? In 1 John 2, verse 1, Jesus is also called our advocate our advocate. So when Jesus says another helper or counselor or all that stuff, in Greek what that means is just like me. Just like me. Now there are two Greek words that are used for the word another. One of them is the word hetero, which is like, you know, like heterosexual, you know, a guy and a girl, like they're both humans, but but they're different. And the other word is this Greek word called alos. And alos means just like the former. What Jesus is saying is he's just like me. So let's look at what Jesus says about himself. I think one of the greatest verses that we read in the scriptures about Jesus being God is this verse in John chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus is talking to the religious leaders, and what he says is, before Abraham was born, I am. Now this name, I am, that's a name that God gives to himself. Moses is supposed to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And so uh, Moses says to God, well, who do I say sent me? And God says, tell him, I am sent you. God gives Moses this personal name. And here, Jesus takes that name for himself. I am, before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus will claim to forgive sins, which kind of shows when we sin, it's really against him, but he has that power, and only God gets to do that. Jesus says that he's going to judge the world. Over and over, Jesus uses all of these words to say that he is God, and now he says, I am sending you someone who is just like me. The Holy Spirit is a person, and he is God, which really drops into that doctrine of the Trinity. And the Trinity is hard to understand. It's one of the reasons I like doing the live sermon-only service we're doing at 9 a.m. right now, because I'm letting people ask questions about this. And last week, we got some pretty good questions. And yes, as I said, the Trinity is hard to comprehend. Some people say, well, Christians just made up the idea of the Trinity, which always makes me laugh, because if I made something up, I'd be able to explain it (laughs) altogether. I mean, seriously make it up we can't even fully understand it this side of eternity like in john chapter 14 in that chapter verse 2 jesus essentially says i'm going away and then in verse 16 he says but the holy spirit is coming and then verses 21 to 23 says my father and i will love you and we will come to you it's this whole i'm going away the holy spirit's coming therefore i'm coming and see if you can follow here jesus is not saying i'm really not going away because the the spirit's coming but he's also not saying i'm going away and therefore i'm not coming he's coming it's it's like he's so one with the spirit that when the spirit comes that's how jesus takes up residence in our hearts and lives and yet he's not so identical to the spirit that he's not already ruling and reigning see easy peasy makes total sense right yeah it's the trinity this is one of the reasons god has to reveal himself This is one of the reasons through the Old Testament scriptures, God is making this progressive revelation of who he is because it's so hard for us to get it. 
Jesus is not saying, you know, there's three gods because there's two one to be three gods. On the other hand, he's not saying it's just one God in three forms. Sometimes he acts like the Father. Sometimes he acts like the Son. Sometimes he acts like the Spirit. No, it's one God, three persons. The great prayer of Israel was called the Shema. They were to pray this every day. And the prayer says, Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This word is this word called echad, and it means singularity in plurality. It's used of a cluster of grapes, one cluster with more than one grape. It's the same word that is actually used when it talks about a man and a wife getting married and becoming one flesh. It's that word. It's not that you aren't you, but you become one. And I know there's probably not a lot of great marriages out there reflect this, but a good marriage was meant to give us a picture of who God is to remind us so we would get it just a little bit. And again, not that we will probably understand the fullness of who God is this side of eternity. We are always trying to put God in a box and say, this is who he is, this is how he works. But when you think about the Trinity, it just blows that box to pieces because we cannot really even fully explain it. But what you do when you understand a bit of the Trinity is you understand the beauty of who God is. And we realize that God has no deficiency in his character that he uses us to make up for. God didn't make human beings because he was lonely. God has perfect communion in himself. God made us because he loves us. Now, why is this important? It's important because the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a divine person in the middle of our lives. And when we move next week to start being talking about being filled with the Spirit, you'll see why it matters. Because being filled with the Spirit, it is about this divine joy and power that the Spirit brings, but there's so much more depth to it than how we usually think about it. And so I think it's in the end, we want the Holy Spirit. We just don't even know what to think about it many times. If you think about the Holy Spirit just as a force, you're going to try to go about trying to get it rather than submit to him. And this is why we have to understand he's a person and he is God. So many people trying to go, go about trying to get the Holy Spirit in a mechanical way. Kind of like in Eastern thought today. The way Eastern thought works is that God is a divine and personal force. So how you approach God is through meditation. And you empty yourself of everything. You sit down and chant, and, and you just empty yourself and hopefully this force will come in and fill you and do those things. That is the exact opposite of how the Bible and Christianity speaks about meditation. Christian meditation is not emptying ourselves. It is filling our hearts and our minds and thinking about the words of God. It's completely different. And yes, there are a lot of Christians out there, I think, that do not have the best theology, who act like being filled with the Spirit is God coming and zapping you like an electrical charge. In that mindset, though, the way you get filled with the Spirit is like Eastern meditation. It's like you do certain things or don't do certain things, and that makes the Spirit come come upon you. Like Some people even talk about going laying on graves of dead people's bones to get the anointing of the Spirit. I'm pushing the right buttons, and then it comes. But if the Holy Spirit is a person, it is completely different in how he comes and inhabits our lives. It's almost like if the person that you love and respect most in the world uh, decides that they're going to come visit and they ask to stay at your house. Well, that would completely alter the way in which you live, right? You'd clean, you'd dust, you'd mop, you'd be on your best behavior when they're there. Not because you don't want them there, but because you do want them there. Tim Keller says it like this, To be filled with the Spirit is to have your life transformed by an acute consciousness of the glorious person who lives permanently within the walls of your life. 
And so we have to ask, do we see the Holy Spirit living in the midst of our own lives, living in us? Are we melted by that understanding that he is actually there living with us at every single moment? Because I think that understanding would change the way in which we live, having this awareness of his presence in every moment. Like, I would venture to guess that there's all sorts of things in our lives that we would change how we do it or not do it or maybe do something else if we realized the Holy Spirit was there every moment. So here is my slide that I'm giving you today for my question. You can go take care of your kids, get a cup of coffee, pause the live stream, ask one another this question. But here's my question. Uh, is, is there anything in your life that would change if you really had this unique awareness that the Holy Spirit was with you at every single moment? If you really understood that he is there with you no matter where you are and no matter what you do, he is right there with you. Okay, so first, that's who the Holy Spirit is. That's who He is. He's God. He's personal, resonant in our heart and lives. Secondly, then what does the Holy Spirit do? Open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. So when Jesus talks about the Spirit, He says the Spirit of truth, helper, advocate, counselor. What does the Spirit of truth actually mean? Well, part of that is that we believe the Holy Spirit essentially wrote the scriptures, the Bible that we have today, the Bible that we read. And yes, some people read it more than others, but of the scriptures. Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 21, Peter says this, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now this word carried along, it's this word called pharaoh. And it refers to people being carried on a ship above the waters or how a mother would carry a baby in her arms. It is written in what is called a present passive participle form. You're like, what does that even mean? Okay, glad you asked. Uh, Present means present tense. It's continuous action. This is what the Spirit is doing. Passive means the subject is the recipient of the action of the verb. So it's the idea that the prophets were being carried along by the Spirit as they actively spoke these God-breathed words words. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. I know you know where that is, right? (laughs) We just got out of it. Uh, So in the idea, it's that they were like gloves in the hands of the Holy Spirit as they wrote down the words of the scriptures in their own personalities and idiosyncrasies. Uh, Peter, again, uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 16 says this, Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Again, this is the idea that the Holy Spirit carried them, guided these writers along as he used their own personalities and freedoms to produce the Bible we have today. It's not that the Holy Spirit overrode them. He used them as they worked together because he is, as I said, personal. And he write, the scriptures come about because of him. John 6, 63, Jesus says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. In other words, the very words we have of Jesus in the scriptures themselves were produced by the Spirit, and those words lead to eternal life. What does the Holy Spirit do? At one level, he is the author of the scriptures. And this goes back to the idea of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. If the Spirit is a person as opposed to a force, he leads, he guides, he takes us to new places. Next week, we're going to look at Ephesians 5.18, where it says to be filled with the Spirit, and how that's connected to Colossians chapter 3, about these traits of the Word of God dwelling in us, that the Spirit brings life and truth into our lives. The Spirit fills us, and that means more than just information. He becomes part of who we are. Uh, Keller likes to liken it 
to wearing glasses. Like, we don't just put on glasses to say, hey, look at me in these glasses. I, I know some people do, but they're weird. You know, but you put glasses on and you look at everything in the world through those glasses. When the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, it's meant to change us so we see everything in the world through the lens of what the Spirit does. Now go back to John chapter 14. And again, this is the idea. We don't just read the scriptures to learn facts. We read the scriptures so they would, as Colossians 3 says, dwell richly in us, as the Holy Spirit is said to do. And I think so much uh, when we look through the words of Scripture and read them, the Spirit makes these things also come alive, especially as it leads us all back to see everything through the lens of the Gospel, because the Scriptures all point to the Gospel. Uh, John chapter 14, verses 18 through 21, right after Jesus says what he does about helper, counselor, truth, he then says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now Jesus is talking to people here who obviously are loving and follow him and wanting to obey him. But on this passage on the Holy Spirit, he says, I will come and show and manifest myself to you. This means the Holy Spirit is taking the words and making them come alive and give them power in our lives. This is what the Spirit does. Writes the words of the Scriptures and then makes them come alive in our hearts and lives. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 19, Paul says this, I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. When Paul writes that, he is talking to Christians. He's talking to believers. And he says, I'm praying through the power of the Holy Spirit that Christ may dwell in your hearts. But Christ must already be dwelling in their hearts or they wouldn't really be Christians. Don't they know about the love of Christ? Of course they do, or they wouldn't be Christians. This is the idea that the Spirit takes the things of the Scriptures that we know and believe and then makes them come even more alive as we meditate and think about them, as we walk through our lives focused upon the Scriptures and the Gospel. Jonathan Edwards wrote in his Quiet Time notebook about God touching his heart and making it swell up. This is what he writes. The sense I had of divine things would often of a sudden kindle up, as it were, a sweet burning in my heart, an ardor of soul that I know not how to express, even though he did just express it kind of through poetry. But he's talking about how it's one thing to read the scriptures and trust the scriptures and another thing to have the Holy Spirit take and kindle that and bring that to life at times. And I know for me personally, there are times when I read the scriptures and I'm like, oh, this is great. And sometimes I read the scriptures and they just boom and they come alive and I see so many things I haven't seen before. That's part of what the Spirit does. Like it's one thing to know in your head that that sugar is sweet and it makes cookies taste good, but it's another thing to actually eat that cookie and be like, oh my goodness, yes, you know, cookies are amazing. It's like you not only know it, now you actually sense it because you are eating that cookie. That's part of what the Spirit does. One writer says it like this, he is the author not only of objective truth because he wrote the Bible, meaning you know, he writes the scriptures, but of subjective truth, meaning how that truth then becomes alive in us. He makes all the things we believe life-changing. 
Okay, so, and I, and I know it sounds like I'm kind of almost doing an infomercial for the Holy Spirit right now, but really, wait, there's more. There is more, <laughs> because the Holy Spirit is also called the counselor, our advocate, our helper. And that's really the main point of the passage that Jesus talks about here. John 14, 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, counselor, advocate. If you go to five different translations of the scriptures, they typically use five different English words. And when that happens, it doesn't mean the translations are wrong. What it means is there's a word here that's so full of life and meaning that we just can't find the right word to put on it. And so the translators are struggling. Again, some say comforter, but that sounds like a blanket, I know. And then some say helper, but that sounds like God's your co-pilot, and he's not, right? And some say counselor, and that's kind of odd, because if you went to camp, you had a counselor, or if you're in marriage, maybe you had a marriage counselor, or something like that. The word here is this word called paraclete, paraclete, and it's really difficult to translate. Uh, Para means alongside, not in front or behind, but walking alongside. Kaleo, which is where you get the word cleat from, means to declare or to call or even to argue. The best way to translate this is, I'm going to send you another legal advocate. It is meant to give us the idea that the Spirit stands beside us and represents us, and the Spirit is for us in the deepest sense of being for us. He is the one who argues and debates, the person who can make a case and defend us. And sometimes the Holy Spirit in making that case will also make a case against our own hearts, so we realize where we're running from God as he begins to convict us. The Holy Spirit becomes our advocate here on earth against enemies that we have, but also the enemies of our own heart. Like in Romans 5, 18, it says that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but that indicates that fear is something that typically fills our hearts. And the Holy Spirit, part of what he does as he writes the words of Scripture, makes them come alive to our hearts, is he will then come and argue those Scriptures to our own hearts. Because our our hearts always want to listen to us and our fears more than we want to listen to God. And the Holy Spirit comes in and says, no, understand the gospel. God loves you. Jesus died and rose from the grave for you. Stop listening to yourself. Listen to what God actually says as he takes those words of scripture and makes them come alive. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 19, it says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Or whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Let me paraphrase that. When our hearts condemn us, the Holy Spirit is greater than our hearts. He speaks to us the truth of the scriptures. And in all honesty, I think if we could speak about this, our hearts don't like the idea of grace or the gospel. You know, the idea that we're saved by grace because we always want to be in control. We want to do it ourselves. We always want to be the ones who figure out, you know, okay, I did it, so now God has to love me. But then when something goes wrong, we then immediately jump to these ideas of maybe God's abandoned me. Oh, I'm not good enough. God can't possibly love me because I didn't fulfill my end of the deal. And what the Holy Spirit does is he comes in and he argues and takes the gospel. And sometimes he pounds that gospel so hard into our heads and hearts that we must believe it over our own fears. The Holy Spirit confronts and convicts, especially in the times and places that we want to run from God. 
I know we try to ignore him and push him out when we don't like it, but when the Holy Spirit sees us giving our hearts to things and relationships and money and sex and power or whatever, instead of God, he comes and convicts us. And I could take and parade person after person up here in front of this camera, and they could tell you the ways that God has convicted their hearts. And they could also then tell you the ways that they have resisted when the Holy Spirit starts convicting their hearts, because we don't want to listen. We want to listen to ourselves. But the Holy Spirit opposes us in our sin because he loves us. Yes, the Holy Spirit is King, Lord, God, Almighty, but also friend and counselor and legal advocate. And he doesn't let us kill ourselves without a fight. That God has destined his people for glory that we cannot even possibly understand. And the Spirit doesn't stop until we, be, until we become the glorious person that God intends for us to be. Not the people that we think we should be, the people he knows that we should be. Someone once said of the Spirit, he is a friend whose love has teeth in it. Meaning that sometimes when he is for us, he stands against us and our hearts that we run towards these things that are sinful. It is the job of the Holy Spirit to give us scriptures. And it is the job of the Holy Spirit then to take those holy scriptures and make them come alive to us, to make them powerful and vibrant in our lives. The Holy Spirit just doesn't come to give us spiritual experiences. He comes to reveal the truth of who God is. He comes, as we are told, as a deposit that guarantees our salvation. And he is so utterly committed to the good work of God that Jesus began in us that he will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Yes, you can use that word paraclete as counselor, but he's not like a camp counselor because you don't get to go home because he lives in your life and he goes home with you because he's now in us. He is that permanent legal advocate. He is for us, para, but sometimes he fights against the sin in our hearts because he always wants to steer us back towards God himself. And that is the wonder of having this Holy Spirit in our lives. So who is he? What does he do? And then lastly, how do we live in what the Spirit gives? And I think this comes back to understanding the depth of the gospel, of understanding what Jesus did to rescue us. Because I think the key to the Holy Spirit operating in our life is understanding our first advocate. You know, when Jesus talks about, I'm going to send you another counselor, another helper, another advocate. Well, who's the first? Well, that would be Jesus. Again, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, this same word paraclete is used of Jesus. It says, But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. That's the word paraclete. Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So when the Bible says that when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, that is Jesus. And by trusting in Jesus, what we understand is that God is a God of justice. And that we stand accused and condemned. Normally an advocate, what they will do is they will argue before a bar of justice for your innocence. But we are not innocent. And so sometimes, and if you're not innocent, they will argue for extenuating circumstances. Oh, no, no, they're really a good guy. They didn't really mean to do that. But we're not really the greatest people in the world. So what does our advocate Jesus do? Well, Jesus never argues for our goodness. He argues for his righteousness in our place. Jesus does not argue our worthiness. He argues his substitution. That's the gospel, that Jesus lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. He exchanges our death for his life, our unrighteousness for his righteousness. That's substitution. We may not be worthy to be forgiven, but he is worthy to forgive us. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, uh, John says this, that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. God, John does, does not say that God is merciful and kind to forgive us our sins, though God is merciful and kind. It is why Jesus came. But the basis of God's judgment is, or forgiveness is not mercy. 
It is justice. It is justice. Jesus paid the full penalty for our sin. Not an ounce of judgment remains. And we have to understand that there is not a single person on the face of this entire earth that could ever live up to the holy, perfect, righteous requirements of God himself. We can't even live up to our own requirements. We always have these moralistic ideals in our lives, and nobody, including ourselves, lives up to any of them. And as much as people in the world, I think, want to deny it and throw up walls and try to deflect, we all know deep in our hearts that there is a condemnation that's there. Everybody knows we are moral failures in one degree. And some people will sleep for a very long time, but we all know that there is a bar of justice. And what we are told is when we believe in Jesus, he stands in that court of justice and represents and intercedes for us. Jesus pays for our sin. And God is a God of justice. And it would now be unjust for God to try and accept two different payments for the same sin. And we can never pay for our sins ourselves. Therefore, Jesus does it for us, pays it once for all. The very justice of God, the omnipotent, infallible injustice of God demands then that there is no condemnation for us who believe in Christ. And so, what does our first advocate do? He is advocating for us in heaven before the Father. So what does the Spirit do? Well, it implies the Holy Spirit then is our advocate on earth. What the Holy Spirit does as he writes the words of the scripture and makes them come alive and apply them to us, the Holy Spirit takes that advocacy in heaven and he applies it now to our hearts and lives here on earth where we are. In John 16, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will speak of me. He will glorify me. J.I. Packard says that it's like a spotlight shining on the work of Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does, shines a light on the work of Christ, points us there. J.I. Packard says, the job of the floodlight is to throw into relief the beauty and the magnificence of the thing it is flooding. And that's the Holy Spirit. That's what he does. The Holy Spirit's job doesn't say, oh, look at me, get my anointing, get my power. The Holy Spirit's job says, look at Jesus. This is what he has done to rescue you. This is why the scriptures were written. This is how they come alive. This is how it applies to you. We have an advocate in heaven and one on earth that takes those words and applies them to our lives. That has to be the most basic understanding that we get of what the Spirit does. And what we see in this is there is something deep in that triune heart of God that is others-oriented, Father, Son, and Spirit, the selflessness of God. And I think if we are a people who understand the Spirit's work, we will love and serve God as well. We will want God's Spirit to make us more like God Himself. And we are told the Spirit will lead us in that. Ephesians 5.1 says, Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And so as we look through all we talked about today, we have to ask some questions. Are we people who are always promoting ourselves? Are we always upset that people aren't giving us our due or someone has offended us or someone has hurt us? Do we always see ourselves getting insulted? Do we say, oh, how dare people talk to me like that? Well, that's not a spirit-filled life. It's not because it's not a life that is centered in what God has done for us. On the other side of that, do you feel like an imposter? Do you, do you feel you're standing before the bar of justice and there's always rejection around you? Maybe like you're always at an audition. Then with that, you also need to be filled with the Spirit because we must realize we have an advocate. We have one in heaven and one on earth. And what that means is we really, as believers in Jesus, have everything that we need. Why? 
because the Holy Spirit of God as a person has come to us in our lives to rescue us, to take all the work of who Jesus is and apply it to us as a people in a way that we could understand. And, and I think day by day that kind of grows as we more and more understand the good news of the gospel and how it applies to us. The Holy Spirit takes all that he has written in the scriptures, makes it come alive to us. Why? So we'd be able to live the life that he leads us into by focusing on what Christ has done for us. Our regeneration, our rescue, our redemption. And at Element, every week, this is one of the reasons we talk about this thing called communion. And again, we understand that, it, that it's awkward in your homes, not meeting together, doing that. But communion is always something that we do in remembrance of what Jesus did. Because he said, do this in remembrance of me and, and my work. And so this is why you have a cracker or a piece of bread and you break it and you either drink wine or grape juice or dip it in that as a reminder of Christ's body that was broken and his blood that was shed. It's a reminder of what the Holy Spirit does. Reminds us of our advocate Jesus and what he did to bring us back into relationship with God again. And I get that there's, you know, kind of a lot of deep things in what we talk about today. Hopefully it spurs a lot of conversation and you get to, you know, go home at some point with a conversation like this because it is deep and there is an awful lot to it. But if you need prayer, we would love to be able to pray with you. I mean, maybe you're in a place where you just feel like you are always, you know, behind the eight ball, so to speak, always feeling like everyone's judging you, always feeling like that God can't really love you because of maybe certain things that you have done in your own life. Well, we'd love to pray with you about that to begin to help you to understand what our advocate Jesus does in heaven and then what the Holy Spirit takes and puts that in our own hearts so we would understand that same advocacy of love and grace and hope and life. If you need prayer, you can send a prayer request to prayer.element.org. Uh, you can send it to connector.element.org. You can put it on the side of the live stream if, if you like. But we want to be a people who come alongside one another. We are also people who give. Uh, giving is simply part of our worship because God has so loved us and been so generous with us. We also want to be a generous people. And in the next few weeks, you're going to hear about a bunch of stuff that Element over the course of November and December is actually reaching out to and, and helping uh, different things in our community because of that. But again, it all comes back to the understanding of the gospel that God has first loved us and been generous with us and then I would also encourage you to take those sermon notes uh, that will be in, in the link tree and ask one another these questions you know about the advocacy of the spirit the advocacy of Jesus how the spirit writes these words of scripture makes them come alive and moves us to be the people he calls us to be there is so much depth and beauty in what the Spirit does, and I feel like sometimes we just relegated him to these weird experiences that people have. And guys, there, he is so much bigger than that. There is so much truth in life and what the Spirit brings. Our entire salvation is coming about because of how the Spirit takes that advocacy and applies it to our lives. So let's be a people who understand that when we worship God, we are also worshiping the Spirit and the great and beautiful things that he does in and through us as we live in his strength out in this world that we come into contact with, especially in the midst of COVID, you know, in purple tear. Let's be the people who love and honor him exactly where we are. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would take us as a people, and as we start to continue to walk through this series, you would have us understand more and more who you are uh, what you do, how you act in our lives and the world around us, and how you intend to take us as you renew us to life and you send us out in this world to be those who represent who you are. 
that we would learn to be a people who are as selfless as you are, a people who are as loving and giving as you. And that when we run into places where things get hard and difficult and we want to shrink back, we would understand that we have an advocate here on earth in the Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would take us and have us begin to understand the depth of that advocacy and that we would live out lives of great trust in who you are because of what you bring into our lives. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for how you have led people through eons to write the scriptures and how you have taken and applied those same scriptures to our lives. Teach us to be a people who love the scriptures, who love you, and live out as your ambassadors to this world the great salvation that we have received and that the whole world would know and love and worship you. We ask all this in your son's good name. Amen.